today's episode of the CWCCS podcast with Pastor Al Pittman, we continue to Acts chapter 24, where we see Paul, in a sense, put on trial and the reasonable case he presents in defense of himself and the gospel. Before we get to that, do you have questions about what's next on the prophetic timeline? Pastor Al's new book has the answers. To market a movie, producers release a preview that attracts an audience. In the book of Revelation, we are provided with a glimpse of coming glory. This new Jerusalem represents the fact that God desires a tabernacle with mankind, which was God's original intent. Remember in the garden, that was God's original intent to a tabernacle to dwell with mankind. Learn more about God's timetable in Pastor Al Pittman's book, Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter, full of crucial information. Because the time is short. Jesus saying, surely I am coming quickly. See, from God's perspective, you're running out of time. Al Pittman has transferred his chapter-by-chapter pulpit teachings on Revelation to this much-needed publication. Get your copy of Revelation, Earth's Final Chapter, where you buy books or online at cwccs.org. What is the message of the church? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. From the in-depth teaching on the book of Revelation, learn more about Pastor Al's latest book at cwccs.org. Now, here's today's message. If you have a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 24. Let's get right into it. I want to welcome those who are watching live stream and those who are watching by television. We have a TV program, and so it will be aired. And um, But thank you for joining us today. And those of you who are here today, thank you for joining us on this Super Bowl Sunday. Amen. I've entitled this message, A Reasonable Case. In Acts chapter 24, we have uh, the scene where uh, Ananias, along with some elders from Jerusalem, from the, the elders of the Sanhedrin, which is the religious council, they're coming down to Caesarea uh, and, uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, to make a case against Paul the Apostle, who was escorted by Roman soldiers, we saw last week, to Caesarea for his own safety to go before the governor, Felix. Verse 1 tells us here in Acts chapter 24, it says, Now after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down uh, with the elders and a certain orator uh, named Tertullus. Uh, these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. Tertullus, it says orator, uh, it, it can also be translated, the Greek word, for attorney. So they lawyered up to bring a case against Paul. And uh, they bring it before Felix. Felix is the governor at this time of Judea, uh, the Roman governor of that area. And... Um, His name is interesting because his name in Latin means hung, uh, not hungry, it means happy or fortunate, which is interesting because Felix was a a very immoral leader. And um, he was married to three wives, he had three wives, and uh, he considered himself somewhat of a uh, Teflon Don, Uh, that's a nickname that was given to John Gotti, the notorious mafia crime boss. And um, like Gotti, Felix thought he could get away with murder. And uh, he did a lot of underhanded things. Uh, his tyrannical reign actually led to the popular, uh, popularity of a group of Jewish revolutionaries that I alluded to uh, probably last week. 
uh, by the name of the Sicarii. Sicarii literally means in Latin assassins. And uh, they would be a part of overthrowing Jerusalem, which then the Romans would come back and defeat the zealots and the Sicarii and uh, destroy the temple in 70 AD. But his, his tyrannical um, reign really gave fuel to uh, the Jewish revolutionary groups that existed at that time. He wasn't a good guy. Tertullus, uh, his speech we're going to look at here in a moment, uh, follows the common Roman pattern of that day. They start with this over-the-top flattery and before they present their case, much like people do today. Amen. And so we began here at verse 2, look at the case that he's bringing against Paul. And when he was called upon, that is Tertullus was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity in being brought to this nation by your foresight. We accept it always in all places, most noble Felix, with all thanksgiving. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. Boy, he lays it on thick. Amen. Praising Felix, this notorious, tyrannical leader. And he says, it says in verse 5, For we have found this man a plague, a creature of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, the Christians were also called Nazarenes at this time because Jesus was raised, of course, in Nazareth. He even tried to profane the temple, and he, we seized him and wanted to judge him according to, his, to our law. But the commander, Lysias, the Roman commander, Claudius Lysias, he came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. You know, you'll see that you know, Paul is the very scoundrel that we declare he is. And the Jews also assented in verse 9, maintaining that these things were true. They were so. So here they are. Tertullus is presenting this case and, and uh, the, the Ananias and the elders, religious elders that came down from the council in Jerusalem are nodding their head going, this is true. What a sham. I think it's interesting here that uh, Tertullus, you know, representing his client, which is Ananias and the rest, heaps praise upon Felix for the prosperity of Israel. Interesting. And uh, by his oration... That is Tertullus' oration. We can see why Ananias was assassinated. I mentioned he was assassinated in uh, 66 AD because they, he was believed to be a Roman sympathizer, and indeed he was. Here he is with his lawyer. He lawyered up and, and uh, you know, kissing up, if you will, to the Roman leader there, Felix. But I think there's another point here that we need to uh, think about today in our society because there's a whole lot of people who have put a lot of stock and a lot of their trust in the government. Looking to the government for paychecks and everything else. 
And I think it's, 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 uh, it's foolish. Can't think of any other word. For a man or woman of God uh, or to put their trust in a man or woman to bring about the prosperity and the protection that we need for our society or any political party for that matter that we put our trust in that and 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 the reason I bring that uh, uh, make this point is that it's interesting sometimes the reaction of some Christians when certain things don't go politically a certain way almost like they lose their faith our faith is to be in God amen it's to be in him We need to be reminded of that today. The psalmist Asaph warned us, Psalm 75, he says, do not lift your horn on high. Now what does that word horn means in the Old Testament? It means your strength. Do not exalt your strength. Don't look to your strength. Don't even look to your national military or whatever it is. Do not look to your strength. Do not speak with a stiff neck. Don't be proud and have a stiff neck. For exaltation does not, or comes rather, neither from the east, nor the west, nor from the south, but God, amen? Can somebody say, but God? But God, amen? Is the judge, and he puts down one, and he exalts another, amen? And so Tertullus here is opening, with his opening statement, he's praising, lavishing his praise upon Felix, Ananias and all of them nodding their heads, you know, we, you know our confidence and, and all is in Felix and, and acknowledging that. And it was foolishness. And he levels uh, accusations against Paul that are completely false. There are three accusations here basically that he levels at Paul that I want to go through quickly. The first one is found in, in verse 5, the first part of verse 5, in accusing Paul of dissension. What the world calls dissension is really a natural characteristic of the gospel. When you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's dissension in the world. At least the world calls it dissension. It's not really dissension. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, he says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that really shocks even some believers today. Jesus didn't come to bring peace. Whoa, well, what about Christmas? <laughs> didn't he say peace on earth? Yeah, peace on earth and goodwill toward men with whom God is well pleased. It's a literal translation. And I can't be well pleasing to God because I've, I'm a sinner unless my faith is in Jesus Christ. And Christ has taken away my raunchiness and given me his righteousness by faith in him. Amen. Now I'm well pleasing in the sight of God. He gave his son that we might be well-pleasing in his sight, that we might have peace with God, but you can't have peace with God unless you have the peace of God. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Amen? And so, you know, they say, oh, Christians are causing dissension. We're not causing dissension. They say that we're guilty of causing dissension, but Jesus came. The gospel, the nature of the gospel is to divine. To bring people to a decision. You can't sit on a fence with Jesus. It will separate husbands and wives and family members. That's not what God wants, but because you're of a different spirit, your friends don't call you no more. You're the wet blanket at the party. And you just love Jesus, that's all, but you're a wet blanket. 
And so what the world calls dissension is not really dissension. It's really the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The world is being convicted. The riot broke out against Paul because they were being convicted. The Holy Spirit's been sent into the world with a threefold mission. The devil has a threefold mission. You know what it is. To kill, steal, and to destroy. And he's having a heyday in our time. But Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into the world to convict men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so when you show up, the Holy Ghost shows up at the party. And people want you to leave. Amen. You're causing dissension. No, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So don't take it personal. The Holy Spirit's just on the job. Amen. Praise his holy name. Well, this is what they were accusing Paul of. The second false accusation in verse 5, the latter part, was that Paul belonged to a sect. What is a sect? Well, in context of what Tertullus is talking about here, a sect is a heretical religious group contrary to Old Testament scripture. Paul wasn't contrary to Old Testament scripture. In fact, the gospel that he was proclaiming is a fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. It's a fulfillment of the Messianic promise. From Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, Christ is proclaimed. Yes, even in the book of Genesis, in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned, and they tried to cover their sin up like we do with fig leaves. Amen. Fig leaves are inadequate. God can see right through your fig leaf right now. Amen. Oh, you painted it, and you put little, you know, sprinkles on it or something. Make it look pretty and acceptable. God looks right through it. And God spoke to him. Actually, he said, Adam, where are you? And then Adam blamed his wife. And God, God didn't fall for that, did he? <laughs> the Bible says that God provided skins for them to cover their nakedness. Where did the skins come from? An animal had to be sacrificed. It was a foreshadow of what Jesus would do for us. He was sacrificed that our sins might be covered. Amen. There was the gospel in the book of Genesis. And all the way through scripture, it talks about the promise of, our, of the hope of the Messiah. A savior who would be sent into the world that our sins might be covered forever. Amen. So Paul wasn't, you know, a, a part of a sect. He was actually speaking about the fulfillment of scripture. He wasn't against scripture. He's talking about the fulfillment of it. The third false accusation here is found in verse 6. Paul profaned the temple. He profaned the temple. And the accusation was purely based upon supposition. We talked about this before, but in Acts chapter 21, verse 29, uh, people saw Paul hanging out with a gentleman from um, Ephesus. His name was Trophimus. And they just assumed, supposed that Paul was actually bringing him onto the temple mount in the Jewish section where the Jewish males were. And they thought, oh, he is profane uh, the temple. And, and Paul never brought uh, uh, Trophimus up there. But they assumed it. And so they're accusing him of that here. Oh, he profaned the temple by bringing in this, this Gentile. And uh, even Tertullus, you know, and, uh, you know uh, being a good lawyer, uh, he tries also to paint the enraged mob uh, that we find in Acts chapter 23 against Paul as being civil. We were just simply trying to, we seized him, and we were simply trying to try him according to our law, you know. And then he throws a Roman commander under the bus and says, oh, and then Lysias, this Roman commander, came and violently took him from us. 
you weren't trying to try Paul, you were trying to kill Paul, contrary to the law. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 2 to 7, that a person could be, couldn't be stoned to death, couldn't be sentenced to death unless there were two or three witnesses, and if that person was a worshiper of idols. Paul was neither of those, neither of those, and so he, you know, here they were trying to kill him without really giving him a fair trial. You were innocent until proven guilty unless there were two to three witnesses according to you know, Mosaic law. And there they were trying to kill Paul, and then, you know, and uh, if it wasn't for the Roman commander, Paul would have been, he would have been killed. And God delivered him. And verses 10 to 19, so this is his case, and then Paul presents his rebuttal, if you will, his defense in verses 10 to 19. And we'll go through that quickly as well. And there are four rebuttals here. And the first one, well, let's read verses 10 to uh, 19, then we can go back and look at them. In verse 10, the Bible says, Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, he answered and said, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. No, he's acknowledging uh, uh, Felix's position as the Roman judge over that nation. And um, he says, Because you may ascertain that it is more than 12 days which I, I went, went up to, uh, to Jerusalem to worship. Let's just stop there. We'll take it one at a time here. There's four uh, defenses Paul presents here. Here's the first defense. I've only been here 12 days. You might ascertain, I just got here. You know, how can I, you know, stir up all this trouble and all of this? He says, I've only been here 12 days. And, of course, he was in Caesarea for five days. So he hadn't been there that long. And yesterday they're accusing him of stirring up all this trouble. Not enough time to really stir up all that trouble. And then the second defense that he brings is in verse 12. And he says, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogue or in the city. In other words, I was there for 12 days, but I, you know, they didn't find me in a synagogue speaking against, excuse me, speaking against the law of Moses or in the marketplace speaking against the law of Moses, trying to stir things up. He said, I wasn't doing that. He came in peace. In fact, Paul was uh, even ceremonial, ceremonially excuse me, purified uh, when he was on the Temple Mount. He wasn't in accordance with the law of Moses. So he wasn't in opposition to the law of Moses. He wasn't stirring things up. He had come in peace. That was really his second defense. His third defense is in verse 13. In verse 13 we read where uh, Paul says, nor can, I, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. Paul is casting at the feet of his accusers, uh, really the Roman law, we talked about it last week, and even in the Jewish law, you're innocent before proven guilty. Where's your proof? And so he's putting the burden of proof on his uh, accusers. Um, And then we come to the fourth uh, defense that he has here in verse 14, where he says, but this, excuse me, this I, I confess to you, that according to the way, that is Christianity, which they call a sect, I was, uh, I worshiped rather, I worshiped the God of my fathers, his Jewish ancestors, David and all the rest of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law. I'm not against the law of Moses and in the prophets. 
And so he's basically saying, listen, I'm, my worship is according to the way they worship in the sense that I have respect for the law of Moses and, and, and for the Holy Scriptures, the law and the prophets. And so he says, my worship is according to the Scripture as revealed to our forefathers uh, and manifested in Jesus Christ. The word of God was manifested in Christ. Christ came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law, the Bible tells us. And of course, the Bible says that the word, John tells us in John chapter 1, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the word? It's Jesus. Became flesh. Christ is the fleshly manifestation of God and of the very word of God and the fulfillment of God's promise, messianic promise. So Paul goes on. He gives these four defenses here, and uh, he moves on, and then he caps off his rebuttal with a declaration of hope. In verse 15, he declares, read along with me, he says, For I have hope in God. And this is, this is a total different hope that Ananias and the rest are demonstrating, as we'll see. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept. That there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. My hope is in God. Verse 17, now after many years, I came to uh, bring alms and, off and offerings to my nation. Now here Paul, verse 17 and 18, is basically summing up what happened. After many years, after his third missionary journey, he comes back. To worship in Jerusalem is what he's saying in verse 17. Verse 18, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified again in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. I wasn't with a gang. I wasn't trying to stir things up. Verse 19, they ought ought to have been here, those other accusers uh, from Asia. They should have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council. He stood before the religious council we saw last time. And he said, you know, there was nothing wrong they found within him. They just didn't like Paul's message. And, of course, they didn't take the time to search the scriptures to see that his message was true. In verse 21, he says, unless, and he's, he's kind of messing with their heads here. Remember, Paul was before the religious council in Jerusalem. There were Sadducees and Pharisees, and the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees do. And in fact, when Paul said, I believe in the resurrection, and I'm a, my father was a Pharisee, and I'm a, I was raised a Pharisee, you know, uh, the Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees said, we find this man to be innocent, because Paul was in agreement with the other half of the, the uh, religious council, the Sanhedrin, there in Jerusalem. So he's now going to pit one against the other here uh, once again, if you will. And uh, he says, unless it is for, the, for this one statement, he said, I'm being judged here, but maybe it's because it is one statement which I cried out standing among them at the religious council concerning the resurrection of the dead. I, am I, basically, am I being judged by you for this on this day? Am I being judged? And he knew, you know, that, that the Pharisees, would, they would put the Pharisees at odds, odds against the Sadducees. And there may have been some Pharisees who came down with Ananias as well. 
And so Paul is, you know, just saying, well, what are you guys judging me for? Is it because I believe in the resurrection? You know, I mean, half of the religious council, Jewish council believes uh, in the resurrection. So he's trying to, you know, he's, he's being very wise here and how he's, uh, you know, addressing them. Um, he declares his hope is in God. His hope is in God and unlike his accusers, Ananias and the rest, and, and to uh, the uh, lawyer they hired, Tertullus, um, their hope was in Felix. And they declared it. Our hope is in Felix. And again, we need to ask ourselves, where is our hope today? Felix is representative of the government. Is our hope in the government or is it in Christ? Is our hope rooted in him? And so Paul is able to have this bold demeanor, if you will, this confidence. Where is it coming from? From the fact that his hope is in the resurrection. The Bible tells us as believers that this ought to be our hope as well because Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 19, he said, because I live you will live also. You know how I know there's a resurrection? Because Jesus lives. You know, you, know, you know why I have hope today? Because Jesus lives. Amen? I love that song that says, you know, he, you, know uh, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen? I know he lives. You know, and he's the reason we can face tomorrow. Amen? And uh, he lives, and so therefore we have hope. Paul's hope is in Christ, who is everlasting, not in Felix, who is going to perish with the rest of the world. You know, Jesus said this about the resurrection in John chapter 5, the hope that Paul has. He says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. He said, no, no, why do you marvel about this? I mean, it's a great statement when you think about it because the reality is everybody that's harassing you now is going to be resurrected. Amen? Everybody's going to be resurrected. There's a resurrection for everybody. Depends on what kind. Is it a resurrection to eternal life or a resurrection to eternal condemnation or a resurrection to face hell? You know nobody's in hell right now? I know we tell a lot of people to go there sometimes, but it's not even. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but the reality, nobody's there. Nobody's allowed in there. Do you know that? Book of Revelation tells us that death and the grave will be cast into hell. And those who stand before the great white throne judgment of God, both great and small, whose every name is not found in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. That's hell. Hell is reserved for the devil and his angels. But those who reject Christ will also go there. Nobody's there yet. You go to a place, you go to the grave. You go to a place, place of the dead. You're waiting for the day of judgment if you rejected Christ. And you'll be resurrected before the great white throne judgment and condemned there for all eternity. That's a scary thought. But the reality is everybody's going to be resurrected. Is it unto judgment or justification in Jesus? Amen. It's a big difference. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Jesus? Are you watching online? Are you in Jesus? Amen. There's no condemnation in him. There's forgiveness in him. In verse 15, the latter part. Uh, Paul kind of, I think he's 
taking a little jab at, the, uh, at his accusers there where he says, uh, latter part of verse, uh, verse uh, not 15. Where am I at? Yeah, I don't know where I'm at. Here we are. Yeah, latter part, yeah, latter part of verse 15. I go, I go up a little further. Uh, he says, yeah, everybody's going to be resurrected. There will be a resurrection of the dead, both for the just and the unjust. And I'm wondering if he, you know, he's kind of taking a jab at them saying, you know what? This is unjust what you're doing to me, but there's a resurrection coming and there's, and for both the just. And he probably looked at his accusers and said, and the unjust. <laughs> Amen. You know, people who give you a hassle or whatever, you know, don't worry about folks. Bible says, you know, the, the Lord is our strength. What, what, what can man do to me? And sometimes we get worried about what people are going to do. You know what? Everybody's going to die. Amen. That, that mean neighbor you have, you can only be mean for so long. <laughs> I mean, really, you think about it, put things in perspective. A resurrection is coming. And what matters is what type of resurrection will you have? And this resurrection, this thought of this hope that Paul has in, in Christ is a hope that transformed his life. The hope of resurrection, resurrection ought to change the way we live. And so Paul says in verse 16, I read over it, but he says, uh, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Amen. We should strive for that. It's not that, you know, some days we get it better than others. Amen. But strive to have a conscience that is not an offense with God and with men. The Bible says when your life is well-pleasing to God, God will make even your enemies your friends. But sometimes your enemies still remain your enemies. You can't make everybody happy. You're not going to please everybody, so just please God. Amen. And God will take care of your enemies. Amen. But if we have this hope within us, it ought to change the way we live. Like I said, I'm not not perfect. I'm not batting a thousand. But the reality is that this is what I strive for like Paul. Even Paul said he wasn't batting a thousand. He said, I have not arrived in the book of Philippians. And he was still striving. And my my goal is to strive to live it, to not offend God and not to, to offend men. Romans chapter 12 says, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all people. Do your part. You are not responsible for the, for the fact that people don't like you because of your color or because of, you know, your faith in Christ or whatever it is. But as much as depends on you, don't fight fire with fire. Overcome evil, Paul says, with good. Romans chapter 12. As much as depends on you, do your part. That person's still mad and walking around and acting stupid. They got a resurrection coming too. <laughs> Amen. But if you have this hope within you, it alters the way you live. First John chapter three, verse three says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, they live a life that honors the Lord. And verses 17 and 18, of course, you know, I've just read all the way down. I think to that, I don't know. I get my services mixed up sometimes. Amen. But verses 17 and 18, uh, Paul briefly states the facts, as I just read, and what really happened. And, uh, and then he, of course, challenges the Pharisees about uh, the resurrection, as I already previously mentioned. We get down here to verse uh, 22. And so Felix has heard enough. He says, but when Felix heard these things, uh, having more accurate knowledge of the way... He adjourned the proceedings and said, basically, he's going to wait until Lysias, the Roman commander, comes down before he makes a decision. And so he releases Paul, 
verse 23 says, amen. And uh, he releases Paul. And uh, Paul goes back to the, <laughs> like I said, the swankiest digs in all of Caesarea. He goes back to the, the governor's house, which is the praetorium. And he's hanging out there. And he also gets some privileges. And I believe he gets these privileges to have friends and people come in and visit Paul, bring him things, hang out with Paul. <laughs> when you want to hang out with Paul, he's in the governor's suite. Amen. <laughs> and uh, hang out with Paul there uh, in Caesarea. And I believe he did that. Felix did that because Paul had an impression upon him, as we will see. In verse 24, the Bible says, And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent to, for Paul and heard him concerning the faith, faith in Christ. So, hey, he wanted to hear more. Sent for Paul to hear more about Jesus. A lot of people want to hear more about Jesus, but they want... They want to hear what they want to hear. And Paul doesn't tell Felix and Drusilla, Drusilla what they want to hear. He wasn't there to impress. He was there to express the truth of the gospel, as we'll see here in a moment. But Drusilla's an interesting lady. She was uh, the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I. We'll meet Herod Agrippa II next week, Lord willing. And, uh, but historians tell us that she, of course, was Jewish, was married to a man by the name of Azizus. Azizus was the king of Emesa. Emesa is located in modern day, was located in modern day Syria. Uh, but Drusilla, she was, a, she was a knockout. She was a babe. And uh, Felix saw that. He, when he set his eyes on her, he wanted to set his hands on her too. And he stole her away from her husband. She committed adultery, left her husband, violating uh, the seventh commandment. Uh, the Jewish, being a Jew herself, yes, she was violating the seventh commandment, which is thou shalt not commit adultery. And so she left her husband to get with Felix. And of course, Felix had, you know, three wives all together. So uh, he wasn't real faithful uh, or whatever. But uh, that's how they got together. So she's sitting there with him. And Paul knowing, you know, I mean, he knew something of the background. Amen. And more than that, God knew it. And so Paul, rather than waste their time trying to flatter them or whatever, he just speaks the truth. And look at what he talks about. The Bible says here in verse uh, 25, now as, the, as he reasoned, this is what he reasoned with Felix and Drusilla about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. <laughs> those aren't topics you want to hear. That, those are not topics powerful people who are rich and famous want to hear. Righteousness. Because Felix wasn't righteous. A lot of injustice and tyranny during his reign. Self-control. He was in self-control. He was a man who was following his own lust. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He had all three. He wasn't self-control. You want to talk about self-control. Solomon didn't know anything about self-control. But then in the end, he said, you know, vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. You can give your flesh all you want and still be empty. He had no self-control. And then he wanted to talk to him about the judgment to come. Oh, that's the topic we all put. Oh, oh yeah, let's not talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> how do you know? You know, this kind of stuff. I know because the Bible tells me. And the Holy Spirit within you is convicting you. We know there's a judgment to come. 
The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. I don't care what, you know, other people teach. You only go around once. I haven't bumped into some of my old friends lately that have passed on. <laughs> Amen. Like, oh, there he is again. No. <laughs> Reincarnation. We go around once. And we don't know when that time is going to be. I'll just read in today where Michael Spinks, famous boxer, beat Muhammad Ali. Some of you remember that. Passed away at 67. We all leave this world. It's appointed on the man once to die. And then the judgment. Are you ready? Are you ready for the inevitable? This is what Paul was sharing with Felix and Drusilla. Are you ready for the inevitable? But of course, as he was teaching about those things, the Bible says uh, he's preaching about the righteousness and self-control and, and judgment to come. And Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time. I will call for you. Now, he did call for Paul again and again and again, but it was never a convenient time. And this is a problem with procrastinating when it comes to your decision to follow Christ, to give your life to Christ. Don't procrastinate. Because here's the deal. Convenient time will never come. It will never come. There will never be a convenient time the devil will see to it. You can't do it now, you'll lose your girlfriend. You can't do it now, oh, people won't like you. You can't do it now, you'll miss that pay raise. You can't do it now. Maybe when you're old and gray and useless. <laughs> Ten minutes before you die. Then you kind of, you know, you're winking a nod to God and say, okay. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Felix was afraid because the Holy Spirit was convicting him. He knew he wasn't right. He was waiting for a convenient time, and the convenient time never came. He would perish. And not only he, but also Drusilla. Drusilla and her son died in the explosion at Mount Vesuvius, the eruption in 79 AD, the famous eruption that destroyed a whole city. That's where Drusilla died. With all her beauty, all her fame, all her riches. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You may not have been accountable to anybody all your life, but you'll give an account to God. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off like Felix. And Paul was not there to condemn Felix. I'm not here to condemn you. But God's word is, convicts us that he might heal us, that we might be healed. He sent his spirit in the world to convict us, to draw us to himself. And Paul comes and he reasons with him about righteousness. Felix, our righteousness is in Jesus. It's not in you. It's not in how many hungry people you feed or, or whatever. It's righteousness is in Christ. Felix, your self-control, you know, self-control is something that's of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Live a life in the Spirit. Felix, let's talk about the judgment. 
There's now no condemnation in Christ. The blood of Jesus delivers us from the fear of judgment. Amen. And even though he heard all this good news, because there's several times he came and talked to Paul, still Felix did not make the decision to follow Christ. But Paul is reasoning with him. And he continues to reason with him. The Bible says here in verse 26, meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. You know, (laughs) Felix is looking for the payoff. You know, you give me so much money, Paul will let you go. And Paul didn't care about the money. And, uh, (laughs) you know, he kept proclaiming the truth. Paul could not be bought. And so he kept proclaiming the truth, and therefore he sent for him more often and conversed with him. So the Bible doesn't tell us that Felix came to Christ. It doesn't appear he did. kept procrastinating. But he kept talking with Christ. And some people, they hear the gospel again and again and again. They keep procrastinating until it's too late. Come to Christ while he is calling you. Amen. And the Bible says, but afterward, after two years, two years of procrastinating, Proceus Festus succeeded Felix. And Felix wanted to do something good for the Jews. He left Paul under arrest. He left him bound. As Paul reasoned, with Felix and Drusilla, so God has reasons with us and reason with the world. In Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord God is reasoning with rebellious Israel. They had turned from God, turned to idols, all type of wickedness going on, and they refused to repent. And God reasons with them. He comes in there with a reasonable case, and he says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Wool was washed and, 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 and made white. He says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse Refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. There's only death awaiting you. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Come now. The Lord says to the world today, trying to fix ourselves by printing more money. You can only put so much air in a balloon. This economy, our, our economy is going to implode. Trying to heal ourselves by, you know, coming up with these crazy knucklehead ideas like defunding the police because in reality, man is good at its core and we can govern ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) Calling the abortion of babies a right to take lives. The murder of innocent babies in the womb. We've done this all ourselves. We don't need God. I wonder if God steps back in eternity, folds his arms and says, how's that working for you? You're giving over to evolution. We ought to be getting better, but we seem to be getting worse. Chicago is almost a battlefield. California is bankrupt. We don't know what's going on. America is on the decline. It's not on the increase. And we need a savior. Amen. For solution. And God says, come, let us reason together. This ain't right. You can't solve it. Though your sin be as scarlet, 
I will make it as white as snow. Felix had no reasonable, no reasonable answer, no reasonable response, and neither do we, to our sin, to our lack of righteousness and self-control, to the judgment that awaits us. We have no answer for that. The only real solution is God's mercy and grace. In conclusion, the cross is our only reasonable case. The cross of Jesus Christ. Felix and Drusilla had, to, had it all, but they left it all behind. Jesus said it best when he said in Mark chapter 8, he said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul or a woman give in exchange for her soul? The answer is simple, it is nothing. But God gives us everything through faith in Christ. Come now, he says, let us reason together. There's redemption, that is forgiveness of our sins. There is restoration for the believer who's wandered away. There's renewal for the believer who is weary at the cross, which we're going to celebrate right now. Father, we thank you for your word today, and I pray there's anyone here in this audience or watching online that does not know Jesus Christ, that right now, today will be their day of salvation, that they will bow their heads wherever they are and repeat this prayer after me. Simply say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for all of my sins, and I believe you were risen from the dead. Forgive me for my sins. Come into my life in this very hour. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for catching today's episode of Pastor Al Pittman's teaching on the CWCCS podcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Pastor Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.